Hello, Sawona, how's it? Molo, Jambo, and welcome to Every Nation Devon Podcast. We hope this message will inspire you and draw you closer to Christ. Enjoy. It's been an interesting two weeks of, uh, of going through this topic, and um, we, we've been looking at it from many different angles, and we've, we've looked at it in the sense that we have the, the, what we've gone through in the last 50, 60 years of a, a sexual revolution that's happened around the world. And we've compared what the sexual revolution is proposing and, and, and speaking about to, to what the biblical narrative talks about. And we've been comparing the two. And today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about gender today. I mean, a talk on, on you know, sexuality involves gender, um, but personally, I never thought we would actually be talking about it the way we're going to be talking about it this morning. I, uh, you know, I mean, if we're going to talk about sexuality, we obviously got to talk about male sexuality, female sexuality, but, but that's actually not what we're really talking about when I say gender. What we're actually talking about, well, what's, what's being proposed around the world at the moment is actually removing male and female from our language completely. That's really what's happening around the world. To kind of give you a snapshot of, of what's going on, uh, Time magazine uh, put their first transgender model uh, on the cover and they, they wrote, the headline said, the transgender tipping point, America's next civil rights frontier. And that was, that was quite recent. Um, and, and it's interesting that I used the word tipping point over there. Uh, this is a transgender tipping point. A tipping point is used as a word to describe like the moment when an idea or a trend or something goes viral. It's, it's the moment where it's, it's just this small idea, but then it suddenly becomes a, a norm in society. It goes epidemic, viral, whatever word you want to use. Um, we, I'm sure you're all familiar with the I Am Kate um, reality TV show where uh, Bruce Jenner the, uh, goes through a, a sex change to become Caitlyn Jenner. Um, Bruce Jenner being the, the father of the Kardashians, etc. Um, in America, there's also a, t- a reality TV show called I Am Jazz, which talks about uh, and documents a, a teenager's journey, journey through uh, transformation from being a boy to becoming a girl, a teenager's um, journey. And I mean, we're, I'm sure you're also familiar with Charlize Theron. We, I mean, as South Africans, we typically follow Charlize because we know she's South African and we like stokes about that. Uh, but she has uh, an adopted son called Jackson who, in her words, at age three, turned around to her and said, I am not a boy. And so she is currently uh, raising him a girl as a girl and she says that Jackson is now as much a girl as her sister is the boy scouts have changed their name they're no longer the boy scouts they're just the scouts um, <laughs> vogue <laughs> has put their first transgender model on a cover recently the methodist church appointed their first transgender clergy uh, Gender-neutral bathrooms are now a big discussion point in society, especially on South Africa. Have you been listening to radio discussions about uh, gender-neutral bathrooms taking place? The 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 idea behind it is is that um, is that people who are transgender are finding signs like male and female only um, incredibly stressful um, to them, and and it's limiting choices and it's categorizing society and it's not inclusive of everyone. Um, if you've been following the news in, in, in England, um, transgender sports is, is making like a massive headlines in the UK where there are a number of men who have trans, uh, trans changed to women and now competing uh, in, in professional sports. Uh, like rugby, in cricket, um, in cycling, and they are winning all the prizes. Um, and it's a massive, massive debate because they, they don't fit in, in, in male sports and now all the females are getting upset because they're taking all the trophies in the, in the female sports. So their gender is in the hot seat 
of debate around our world right now. Um, pronouns are also in massive debate at the moment. Like, should we use the words he or she or him or her? Uh, schools are finding it increasingly under pressure to, to not use pronouns when referring to pupils. There are even now uh, laws that are trying to be put in place where people, where we do not use pronouns at all because it's confusing, it's, it's, um, and not only that, it's hurtful to people being called her when they him, etc., um, to help us cope with what's going on around the world, there's even this uh, interesting thing called the gender-bred person. I don't know if you've ever seen this diagram over here. This, this is a tool that's been created to help us understand uh, the whole gender debate. In the, in the, in the gender-bred person, um, and it's not the gingerbread, gingerbread man. It's the gingerbread person, okay? It says that identity is something that happens in the brain, okay? Identity uh, is what you choose, whether you want to be a man or a woman, or if you want to be genderqueer, something in between. That happens in your brain. In your heart is where you choose who you want to be with. That's the type of uh, orientation you'll choose, whether it's homosexual or heterosexual or something in between like bisexual. Between your legs is where is your, is your biological makeup. That's your sex makeup. Um, and you're either male, female, or you are intersex. And then you're the yellow, the everything else is your orientation. That's your expression. That's how you choose to present yourself in the world. So there's all these different components which have been put out there to try and help us understand, okay, what are the different components of this? Um, the director of mental health and child adolescent gender center in San Francisco said this. He said, gender should be expressive and creative. And certainly that's what the gender-bred person tries to do. We have to, you are allowed to experiment with all of these different options. Chaz Bono, the, the famous daughter um, of Sher, now turned trans man, said the following, gender is between the ears and not between the legs. That's just to give you a snapshot of the world and why we're talking about this this morning. The sexual revolution is pushing for a gender-neutral, gender-fluid, non, what they call non-binary society, where you can choose to be whoever you want to choose to be, and you shouldn't be bound by what your body tells you, and you shouldn't be bound by what society puts on you. If you are a man and you want to wear women's clothing, you should be free to do so. If you're a female and you want to wear male clothing, you should be free to do it. If you are biologically born a male, but you decide you prefer and identify more with being female, then you are allowed to change that. You should, you're also allowed to choose who you have sex with. It doesn't really matter whether it's male or female, because gender, according to the sexual revolution, is a social construct. You don't fall in love with a male or a female. You fall in love with a person in a body, regardless of what the body is presenting. What is a Christian response to all of this? How should we think about gender as Christians? And, and, and what should we think about what is happening around us and how should we cope with what is happening around us. Because I want to just say this morning to us is that this is not an American problem, okay? This is not, like, we're, we're talking about something that is very much in Durban and very much part of our lives on campus or in the workplace. We need to be equipped to deal with this. And, uh, and my goal this morning is that you would leave more equipped, that you would leave with a better biblical understanding of what's going on and how to deal with it if it's going on in your life or people around you as well. So to start, we're going to go to the Word of God. Can somebody say amen? amen. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we're going to start in Genesis, but let's, let's stand to our feet and pray before we read the Word and get into the Word. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I commit this time to you. I believe that your plans for me are good and that everything good starts with your word. Your word brings life, healing, and direction. 
I treasure your word more than my daily bread. I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Amen. All right, you are welcome to take your seats and you can join me in Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read from verse 18. Are you there? Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. And all the men said, Amen. Amen. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And then the story continues about how God brings all the animals to man and Adam and Adam didn't find anyone that was suitable for him. And then he caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he took one of his ribs, closed up the opening and the Lord made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, at last, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken from man. And this explains why a man will leave his mother and his father and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Um, it's very interesting. This is the creation account of mankind. And what we're reading here, I want you to know, is really God's intention and God's blueprint for humanity. Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are valuable to us as Christians. They are where we see the start of the story of Humanity. It's the start of creation. It's the, the beginning picture. What we see is a creator who's behind everything. He's, he's got intentionality. He has design. He's got order in how he creates things. He's a God who, who didn't make the, the bugs before there were plants for the bugs. Okay, the, everything in the creation account follows a logical, s- sequential order, and everything is done in love, and he declares at the end of every day that everything is good, and when he had made man, he said it is very good. Mankind is the pinnacle of God's creation. He loves mankind, and he has a plan for mankind, and he brings uh, Eve to Adam, and we see the first marriage taking place in the Bible. And it's very interesting when we look at these passages, and we see all this design, we see all this intent, the the words become so important. The words there that he uses for Eve is he, he says, I will make a helper who is just right for him, or some versions say suitable or comparable to him. Um, the word helper, when you look at it in the Greek, it's, I mean, sorry, in the Hebrew, is actually the word ezer. And you find it used throughout the Bible. It's, it's only used 21 times throughout the Old Testament. 16 of those times, this word is used to actually refer to God or Yahweh. The Psalm 121, which says, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my? My? Comes from the? The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Okay? My help. That word, the same word used there is Ezer. Okay? 16 times it's used for God. And what it's meaning, alright, is, is really, We've, we've translated as helper. And, and often, unfortunately, in patriarchal society, we have kind of then relegated females to secretaries only because they're helpers. Uh, but that's really not what this word helper means. It doesn't mean secondary. It doesn't mean lower than. It's used as the same word for God 16 times in the Old Testament. And it means empowerer, strengthener. Um, it means strength. It, it, it's, it's condoned. I'm going to make man a strengthener, an empowerer, someone who can come alongside man and empower him. Okay? That's what it means to be female, according to the Bible. When it's, uh, <laughs> and that's, that's not, that's not woman's lib. I just want you to know that's, that's, Bible, okay? That's just the Bible. Alright, society, like, makes all these rules, like Beck was saying, and all these social norms and constructs. What we need to do is come back to blueprint. Okay? This is blueprint. Blueprint, this is not, Eve is not secondary. She's not lower than in any way to Adam. And the, the word there, comparable or just right for him, is a very interesting word. And it means equal but opposite to. Connecto. All right, it's a very interesting word. So it's equal, equality, 
<laughs> I mean, we've been fighting for women have been fighting for equality in society, and 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 it's actually in the Bible. Okay, it's really something that should never have been lost in the first place. Okay, equal but opposite too is very interesting because it says comparable. You are equal, but you are different. You, there's a difference between male and female. So the biblical position is that you know God could have made. Adam, a whole bunch of male buddies to do life with. This guy's a lonely. Let me give him some buddies, you know, some mates. They can play in the garden. They can do guy things and climb trees and, I don't know, rugby tackle each other or, you know what, tease each other as boys typically do. Um, and I live in a house with boys, okay, so I, like, I know. But, but he didn't. When he, when he saw Adam's need, he didn't go and create a whole lot of men and buddies for him. He created Eve, something that was different to him. And so what we learn from the creation account is this, is that in order for males, Adam's loneliness, all right, for men's loneliness to be satisfied completely, there needs to be a female that comes alongside. Man's loneliness in his body or his soul or whatever is found uh, fulfilled in the female form. So when we look at the biblical position of gender, what we see from the beginning is that there's differences between the genders. There is male and there is female. And what we see is complementarianism. There's this, there's this complementing that takes place between the two sexes. There is a biological purpose to gender, which the Bible talks about. There's a biological purpose to it. And it doesn't, if you were an alien and you came and studied humans and you noticed, you'll, one of the first things you'll notice about human beings is that there are men and that there are women. And if you studied a little bit deeper into those biological differences, what you'll find is that the male form is actually made for the female form. And likewise, the female form for the male form. Biologically, there's a fit. It's like two puzzle pieces coming together. And you can do that just with any just sort of logic, okay? But not only is there a biological purpose for, the, for gender in the Bible, but we see a functional purpose as well. In some way, Adam was not complete without Eve. And so what we see in the Bible is that there is this, there is this way that women empower men or bring out the strengths of men or... Or there's this way that men bring, are meant to empower women and bring out the strengths in women. I mean, I'm sure you kind of noticed this. Like, uh, men, if, you, if you're sitting in the room and, and you're with a whole bunch of guys and you're, I don't know, you're trying to make plans about something. You know, ah, oh, we're going to do this. Okay, next weekend, blah, 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 blah. And, and it becomes this, like, testosterone moment of, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just bring one woman into the room. And the whole atmosphere changes. Suddenly we find there were things that we were not thinking about in our journey. Suddenly we find there were considerations that we were not considering, okay, in any way. There is, there is something about the female form that balances testosterone. Uh, I won't say subdues, but like refines it and makes it better. <laughs> And this meant to be something about men doing the same for women as well. And if you take a whole bunch of girls in the room and they're all planning something, a whole lot of estrogen going on, a whole lot of excitement about stuff, you bring one man into the room and the atmosphere changes. There's something, there's considerations, things they didn't think about. There's, you know, and this is what God actually intends. There's some sort of functional purpose to bringing out the strengths of the opposite gender. Uh, there's, there's something about containing the weaknesses that are inherent in men that women like help with and vice versa. But not only is there a biological and functional purpose in the Bible, we, we also see like an eternal purpose to the genders. Okay? We see male and female coming together in, in heterosexual monogamy in the Bible. And in God's blueprint. And, and having children. And all of that, that process of a man coming together with a woman is just a signpost to a higher spiritual reality. It's almost a message on its own. 
And we understand that as Christians to be talking about the, the, the message between Christ and His church. That Christ is like this bridegroom and the church is like His bride. And one day they will come together and we'll be the children of God and there'll be this family of God that's united. And so there's something about the family unit, a man and a woman procreating that reflects a higher spiritual truth. And it's for now. It's for this time on earth. It's, it's, a, ro- it's a signpost. It's a, it's a demonstration. It's, it's a, something that God has put in the earth that helps people to see Him in some way. That's what it is. Um, and so I'm sure if you can rewind the clock for some of you and, and go back to your uh, go, teenage years going through puberty, okay? Let's rewind the clock for just a little bit. High school all over again, okay? I don't know about you, but I remember, like towards the end of junior school, girls started becoming very interesting to me. I, I went to an all-boys school, so I was like, there was just full-on testosterone every single day, okay? But there was something lacking in that, <laughs> in that environment that we, most of the boys kind of knew. Like there was, and there were girls' schools just around the corner from us with just girls. And for some reason, we just wanted to escape our boys' school and go to those girls' schools and meet these strange creatures called women. There was something about them that was intriguing to us. My friend had a sister who I was my first crush, okay, in, in high school. <laughs> I fell head over heels for this girl. I found I wanted to go to my friend's house, like, often, because his sister was there, you know. And so I got to chat with his sister, and the feelings were mutual. And then we didn't know what to do with this thing, so we started writing love notes to each other. <laughs> the equivalent today would probably be like, could I have your phone number? And then, you know, start WhatsApping or something. I don't know. But we didn't have phones, okay? I know. I, I, I look very young. And, and, you, and you're wondering. Yes, I didn't have a phone in high school, okay? And, and, and so we had to write letters. And my poor friend became the delivery man for these letters. So, I, in my boys' school, we used to have lockers where we used to put our bags and I, I, you know, we used to put your bag in there and because my friend was in another class, I often didn't get to see him but he was the delivery guy. He would put the envelope through my locker breathing holes, you know, and, and drop it into my locker and I would come like at break time so many times, and just look for that letter. <laughs> I would open that locker, and, and there it would be. It would be in pink. And I'd pick it up, and it would smell like perfume. <laughs> I would open this letter. I would wait. I'd first look around, make sure there were no other guys. Go find a place, and open the letter, and read this letter, and then respond, and write my letters, and spray it with my deodorant, and send it. I don't know. You know, it's <laughs> according, <laughs> according to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, I was functioning correctly. One day, I would meet a woman who was matched for me. We would get married. We would procreate. We would fill the earth. We would multiply. We would take dominion. And this is great. We make movies about this. You know, the difference between boys and girls and boys falling in love with girls. Boys do the craziest things to try and impress girls. Girls do the craziest things to try and impress boys. And there's this whole laugh and there's this joke and there's movies and everything. And it's all very exciting. But my question is, what happens if you grow up and you never have those feelings during puberty? Everybody else is being attracted to the opposite sex. Everybody else is talking about their girlfriend. Everybody else is having these feelings, going through this stuff, and you're laughing because you know you did the same thing, okay? But what if you never had those feelings? They never kicked in. You were waiting for them, and, so, and they just never happened. And if you were too, totally honest, you found that you weren't really attracted to the opposite sex, but you actually started developing those feelings for the same sex, in our society, because that's not normal, it's not something that you want to admit straight away. It becomes a wrestle in your heart. 
And what it leads to is incredible loneliness. And if you come out, it can lead to incredible rejection if you even say those things. Or imagine this, you're growing up and you're going through those puberty years and you genuinely feel that when you look at all the men around you as a guy, that you do not identify as being a boy. All the other boys want to do this. They want to climb trees, roll in the mud and play with power tools, but you actually have no desire for any of the things that they're doing. What if you actually identified more with the females and what they were doing? And you enjoyed the clothes that they wear. And you looked at the things that they were doing and those were more interesting to you. This is what the world is struggling with okay? at these formative years. And our first response as Christians to this should be extreme compassion. If we are going to be Christians, we are the... the the people who out of everyone should not be ostracizing, rejecting, labeling anybody who is struggling in any particular way. What we should be as the body of Christ is at least acknowledging of this. At least acknowledging of this and being extremely compassionate to people who are struggling. Maybe it's not your struggle and so we just think, ah, you shouldn't struggle with what I struggle with. But let me tell you something. If we go through the room right now, we would, there will be someone, you'll share your struggles and somebody will think, why are you struggling with that? Maybe you have a struggle of talking in front of people. Maybe you have a struggle with getting behind the wheel of a car and driving it. That's a real struggle to you. But for us, a lot of us, it's like, come on, get over yourself. Like, get in the car and drive. You know what I mean? Stand up and talk in front of people. But it's a genuine struggle to you. It's real to you. And a compassionate society is one where we acknowledge each other's struggles. We don't discount them. We don't trash them. We don't mock them. We don't walk all over them. We acknowledge it's real to them. And so the first step as Christians is we should have extreme compassion. This is something that is very real to people. Why is it happening? I don't know about you, but like I, when I looked into this, I'm like, my brain is why? 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 What, what is this? What is going on here? Well, I have a slide for you that talks, just shows Genesis chapter 1. Okay, there it is over there. Genesis, we must understand this. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 are really God's blueprint for society. It's, it's, it's what God intended for us. But we don't live in a Genesis 1 and 2 world. We live in a Genesis chapter 3 world. Genesis chapter 3 records the fall of mankind. So we see a blueprint in chapter 1 and 2. In chapter 3, we see the fall of mankind. And that's when everything starts going wrong with humanity. That's the world we live in right now. The idea of men and women being attracted to each other coming together in a monogamous heterosexual relationship, procreating, was the blueprint of Genesis chapter 1. But what we see post chapter 3 is that that doesn't happen. Why? Because mankind goes through this, tra- this transformation in chapter 3. There's a fall of humankind. Sin enters the human race. It changes the, the, the whole landscape. It changes the world. It, it affects the climate of the world. It affects creation. It affects our internal worlds. Everything. Man is not what it should be. And when we read the Bible, we see this. We see married couples coming together and they're not able to have children like Genesis 1 and 2 promises. Not only that, we see polygamy in the Bible. Men taking more than one wife. That wasn't the plan either. We see rape. We see incest. We see homosexuality. And we even see transgender in the Bible. Really? (laughs) Well, we assume that there is transgender happening in Bible times. Why else would we need a command in Deuteronomy 22 verse 5 where it says a a woman must not wear men's clothing nor a man wear woman's clothing for the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. Why was that command there if people were not struggling with this thing? Okay, So the Bible, we must understand, is written to reorientate, re-educate mankind back to the blueprint of Genesis 1 and 2. 
This is what we see. I mean, if you go and look in Leviticus, you'll see a number of different... And Leviticus 18 is like actually quite interesting. It's really who you're not allowed to have sex with. Okay, Genesis, Leviticus 18. It's like you're... It talks about bestiality, homosexuality, not making your daughter a prostitute. It talks about this long list of you're not allowed to have sex with your sister, your mother, your aunt, your uncle, your brother's-in-law, your brother's wife, your mother, her daughter. It's, I mean, there's this long list of like, and you've got to ask, well, like, why? Why is this written? What is the point of all of this? And the reason why it's written is to re-educate mankind that has fallen back to God's original intention. To say, this is the blueprint. This is the design. This, this is not how we meant to use our sexuality. Let's come back to Genesis 1 and 2. When the Sadducees came and they quizzed Jesus about divorce, it's very interesting to see Jesus' response in Matthew 19. He says this, he says, haven't you read the scriptures? Haven't you read the blueprints? Haven't you read Genesis 1 and 2? They record from the beginning that God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united in one. So they're no longer two, but they are one. So let no one split apart what God has joined together. What did Jesus do? So they're asking him actually a question about divorce. And what he does is he takes everybody back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and says, Guys, it's useless to get into a, a, a debate about the nuances of divorce and when you can do and when you can't. and what it's, it's kind of useless because, guys, I want to remind you that divorce was never actually part of the plan. The plan actually was male and female coming together in heterosexual monogamy and procreating. And the two shouldn't be separated. What he was trying to do was reorientate them back to the blueprint of what God's original intention was. And we, as Christians, we, this is core to Christianity. This is core to us. We have to understand that the world we live in is Genesis 3. It's a broken world. It's a fallen world. There are all manner of, of um, adversities and trials. There's all manner of things that are not what God intended. If we do not understand this and accept that mankind is fallen and broken, then we will never see the need for a Savior. Jesus becomes irrelevant unless we see that the world is not as it should be. And this is core, guys. I want you to understand this this morning. Like, if, if you think that the world is actually as it's meant to be, that we're meant to have cockroaches and mosquitoes, <laughs> I'm pretty sure they were part of the fall. I'm just joking this morning. I really, I did. Maybe they looked different before the fall. I, like they walked upright and they were cleaner or something. I don't know. But they're like. <laughs> but isn't it strange that when, we, when we, we plant gardens, like weeds grow naturally? You never really go past the garden. Oh, look, there's a crop of maize that nobody planted. Oh, there's a bed of roses that like nobody planted. You know, we, where the world is not as it should be. It requires toil. It requires labor. It requires something else. We are not as we should be. We grow up not knowing who we are. I've just spent a weekend with a bunch of teenagers and, and I'm asking them like, what do you want to do? And they're like, I have no idea. I don't know who I am. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what my life is about. I don't know. I, and, and it's, and it's, it's, we, we growing up, there's something's missing from our lives. There's something wrong with us. We, we want things that we shouldn't want. We, we do things that we shouldn't do. We, there's, the world is broken. We live in a Genesis 3 world. In my opinion, the hardest hit by the fall has definitely got to be in the area of feelings, desires, and identity. Post the fall, we find it difficult to act consistently outside how we feel, what we desire, and who we think we are. Feelings and desires motivate us. We do what we feel like doing. We do what we desire to do. Becky was talking about like when you feel like it and when you don't feel like it. You know, like like that that is a sign that She's gone through a transformation. She's not just doing what she feels like anymore. Okay? But, but fallen man finds it difficult not to 
It was God's spirit, the ruach of God that was breathed into him. And what we see in the life of Adam is that he was able to relate with God. And the reason is because he had the spirit of God living in him. He understood God. He knew God. He walked with God. He talked with God. He, he conversed with God. I mean, there was relationship between him and God. Without the spirit components, there is no way that we can know God because the Bible says that God is spirit. The natural, carnal man, the Bible talks about, does not know the things of God, nor can he understand them. They are foolishness to him. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. So without the Spirit of God, we, we have no relationship to God. And if we have no relationship to God, we have no connection to the blueprint anymore. So what we see at the fall is that God warned Adam if he ate from the fruit of the tree that he would die in that day. We know he didn't die physically. We believe he died spiritually in that moment. Because post that moment, what we see is that mankind becomes ostracized or like separated from God. He doesn't know God anymore. He doesn't walk with God anymore. And without any sort of Wi-Fi connection with heaven, we start building out of feelings and desires. And it's not long after that that we then see polygamy and rape and incest and everything else. Why? Because desires are not controlling the human race and feelings. Okay? In fallen mankind, right, without the Spirit of God to govern desires and feelings, we pursue our desires and feelings. They are the number one authority in our lives. Listen to the world around you. Do what makes you happy. If you want to do that, do that. If that's who you think you are, be that. The, the mantra of our world is pursue your desires. Pursue your feelings. There, there's nothing wrong with you. That you're not fallen in any way. Go, your, your only true compass to navigate you is what you feel and what you desire. And this is why Paul in Corinthians writes and he says, You know, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are we not to judge those who are inside the church? And I think this is, that scripture is relevant for this topic because, because we can so often fall into the trap of judging the world by its behavior, but really they, they have no navigation point. There is no starting point because the Spirit of God is not in them. When I went to university as a young man with the Spirit of God, undiscipled, I walked into my res, I saw like what everybody was doing, and all I wanted to do was chase my desires, but I knew it was wrong. Couldn't. <laughs> I had something else. I had the Spirit of God that was like a, like a warning. Like a, you can't, it was like, as soon as I want to do that, there's warning lights going, I can't do that. I just knew that I couldn't do that. What was that? That was because at age 14, I was filled with the Spirit of God. I received the compass, the navigation point, the connection between me and God. And I, and I had this innate sense of knowing what the blueprint should be and what was right and what was wrong. I did not want that at university. It was a stumbling block to me. So I went into my room and closed the door and I prayed and I said, Lord, please leave me alone. I actually just want to pursue my desires. And the craziest thing is I actually felt, just like I received the Holy Spirit, I felt the Holy Spirit leave. And the scary thing was, in that moment, I was so happy because I could suddenly go and pursue my desires without any sort of conscience. It resulted in me pursuing my desires and, and pursuing every sort of feeling or whatever I could go after, whatever the world was saying. And it resulted in tremendous brokenness in my life where God actually had to come and rescue me because I was in danger of going to hell and fill me once again with His Spirit and put me back on the right track. Without the Spirit of God, we have no navigation point. So, what, so we don't judge the world when the world sins. It's like, I mean, the world is sinning. You know, like, like what, what else are we expecting? <laughs> you know, to, are we really expecting them to, to behave by the standard that we have? Is it not those actually here in the church that we should be saying, hey, guys, ah, 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 that's not the standard. This is the standard. 
In Romans 1 verse 24, are you okay? Just check in. Romans 1 24, it says this. This is why God lifted off his restraining hand and let them have full expression of their sinful and shameful desires. That, that scripture was written about people who rejected God, like I did, in my bedroom at university. I rejected God. Okay? So the moment you reject God, all right, He lifts His restraining hand. And now you are free to pursue your desires. The result of that is that you go into moral depravity, dishonoring their bodies by sexual perversion amongst themselves. It's the, it's the fruit of an unrestrained life without having the Spirit of God. In James chapter 1 and verse 14, it says the following, Temptation comes from the devil. Right? Well, it does. We know Satan tempted Jesus. Okay? But what does the devil work with? <laughs> Desires. Temptation comes from, say it. Can you say desire? Desires. Okay? Alright, so there, there are desires within us that Satan actually works with. Okay? And he, I mean, otherwise temptation would not be temptation. Let's think about it. I mean, he doesn't come and bring something to us that we really, hmm, don't actually care about or we don't want. Okay? It's, it's, there's something there that we go, hmm, that makes a temptation. What is that, hmm? It's a desire in you. And it's desires that entice us and drag us away. Can you, can you see it's the desires are powerful. Desires are what motivate us. It's, they move us. We do what we desire. And desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. This is the progression of humanity without God. Temptation coming from desire. Desire dragging us away into sin. Sin dragging us into death. Starts as desires. So when the Bible says this, it says in Matthew 1.22 that Christ came to save us from our sin. What it's actually saying is that He came to save us from our wrongful, out of sync, misplaced, misdirect desires. Because that's where sin starts. Came to save us from ourselves, from our fallenness, from our brokenness. We got really messed up in the fall. We got out of sync, okay? And he came to save us from that. So let's just break this down and make it really easy to understand because it is Sunday morning. If you desire to sleep with many women, as many women as you can, it's like an honest desire. And like, I'm not saying this like it's a crazy thing. I'm a guy and I hang out with guys and I'm a pastor, so I hear confessions, okay? This is a very real thing. If your desire is to sleep with many women as you can, what do you do with that desire as a Christian? Well, we go back to the blueprint. And we examine the blueprint. What does the blueprint say? The blueprint is that, no, you created for one. Okay? For a wife. Okay? You're created for a husband. And we can see that this desire is clearly not in line with the blueprint. So it must be part of the old fallen nature. The nature that Jesus came to save me from. And so what I do is I submit that desire to Jesus. I let it go. Alright, like Johnny Walker, just keep on walking. You know, it's not going to nest. It's not going to stay. It's not going to become my identity. I'm not going to build my life on it. Because it's not part of the blueprint. As a Christian, I understand that the blueprint is actually God's love and God's plan and the best place and most healthy place for me to be. So I let go of those other desires. If you desire to be in a same-sex relationship and it's a very real desire, what do you do with that desire? You take it to the blueprint. You examine the blueprint and you see, is the blueprint, is this what the blueprint says? And the blueprint, we can see, no, that's not part of God's blueprint. And so it's misplaced, it's misdirected, it's desire out of sync. Jesus came to save me from that desire. And this is really important where we see Jesus in the equation here. Jesus came into humanity, all right? And he came to save us from everything that is wrong within us. 
not condemn us. Jesus said, I did not come, come to condemn the world, but to, to save the world. Okay, so, so we have someone who we're not helpless to our desires. And then he promises us even in the word, he says, you'll never be tempted beyond what you can actually cope with as well. Which means that in his design, he somehow put some sort of boundary in place that you will never be allowed to be tempted beyond what you can actually handle, which means you can handle any temptation that comes your way. And he doesn't stand there condemning you. Why do you have those desires? He came because of those desires. He, that's why he's, his purpose is to save you from those desires. So we must see that this is the Jesus in the Bible. We're not helpless. We're not left without. We're like, oh, I'm, not, I'm overpowered by my body, these thoughts. No. We have a Savior who came to rescue us from that. So as Christians, we have joy in that. Amen. Amen. If you desire to be a woman, though biologically a man, what do you do with that desire? You take it to the blueprint. You see, it's not of God that in the beginning He made them male and female. And, we, and then we turn to Jesus. Jesus can help us with that. He's there to take us through the process. So if you feel gender dysphoria in any way, all right, I want you to know that you have a Savior in Jesus who can help you. Okay? And I really believe that there's nothing too hard for the Lord to do. Can somebody say amen to that? Just, there's nothing too hard for the Lord to do in our lives. Ravi Zacharias said the following. He said, to live biblically, we must live from intention to expression. Expression cannot be the guiding light of how we behave. How do we live? We live from intention to expression, not the other way around. Right? We, we can't let expression be our guiding light because expression changes every day. Imagine a lighthouse, a floating lighthouse. What good would that be to ships? <laughs> Where's land? Well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's moving, you know? And that's, if we're going to build our lives on feelings and desires, we have a floating lighthouse. We don't have a reference point anymore. One day we wake up and we like this. The next day we wake up we like that. We, there's no consistency and we cannot become what God intends us to become. So we don't, as Christians, fear our desires and this is important, I want to say this. If you have these desires, and if you're struggling with these things in any way, it's not to be afraid of these, and it's not to be ashamed of these things. Let's bring them into the light. Amen. We don't fear the stuff. We, we, it, what we do is we bring it out in counseling. We book appointments, amen? We, can, we go and we talk these things out, and we say, I'm struggling with this. We, we're honest about it. That's, you know, be, being honest about it is, is the first step in your healing process. And when we look at it, that's just being Bible. That's like bringing it to Jesus, bringing it to walking in the light. So we don't fear them and we don't follow them, but we offer them to God. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says the following. It says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For, you, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Christian understands this, that you've been bought with a high price and that the Spirit of God lives in you. And your responsibility then with that is to use your body to glorify God. And I'm not just talking about the, the gender dysphoria at the moment. I'm talking about in every way. In every way, in, every, in eating, in drinking, in relationships, in exercise, in every way, we honor God with our body. Because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. He's in charge. He's bought this body. We are not our own, but His. So we honor Him with our bodies. You know, I know of a young lady who was struggling with the desires for suicide. Really wanted to kill herself but knew that her body was not her own. That it was bought at a price. That it belonged to the Lord. And it saved her from committing. And she got over that and learned how to live empowered over those feelings of suicide. And so this is really the Christian thing. This is what we do. We don't allow desires to define us. By contrast, if you look at the sexual revolution and what it's proposing, it says this. It says, follow your desires. 
Let's create a society where people are free to go for their desires. And if you have the desire for the same sex, there's a label waiting for you. It's called being gay. It's almost like a title nowadays. And it's an identity. And there's a community. And there's support. And there's human rights activists who will back you. And so if there's this desire, you, we've got you covered is what the world says. Same thing with transgender. If there's this desire, let's pursue it. Let's go through whatever process. Let's take hormone blockers. Let's go through uh, surgery. Let's go through social orientation. Let's go through all the things so that you can fulfill this desire in your life. And I wonder, I wonder how many boys we have sent, boys who, who don't typically fit the boy box, of like rolling in the mud and playing rugby or whatever it is. How many boys like that that we have sent into what we've labeled as gay and then sent into a lifestyle that is not the blueprint for their lives just because they didn't fit in the box and we had this label ready for them. Oh, you've got this, are you not like the guys? So, okay, quickly, label, identity, this is your life for now. And we send them off into that thing. Girls, the same thing. How many girls do we know that don't fit the girl box? They don't like pink, okay? They don't like playing with dolls. They actually want to go out and play soccer and, and, and be with the guys and, you know, be rough. <laughs> I mean, I have to laugh. My wife played rugby when she was a girl. <laughs> <laughs> no. When she was a little girl, okay, that's what I meant. She's now a woman. She's still a <laughs> Personally I think this. I think Satan has a poison pull for every person. I think he's got this like like, because you're not like, like, like all the other guys, and maybe you're not fitting in, he's got this little, like, identity for you. This whole little, like, construct for you to walk in that's out of God's blueprint. Same thing with girls as well. And for us, for some of us, it might be in the area of gender or same-sex desires or whatever. For others, it might be money, greed, jealousy, power, whatever. It's all, it's all in the same category. Okay. Um, there was, I mean, listen to this. Okay, I'm going to finish soon. In, in, a, in, a, in the book, Beauty, Order, and Mystery, okay, really brilliant, okay, written by a few people. Um, it's a Christian vision of sexuality. The authors, they tell the story of a woman who had a fascination with being blind. She had this fascination with blindness, and she honestly felt that... As a seeing person, she shouldn't be seeing. And that she should be blind. And she went through counseling and, and, and she tried to find a doctor who could then remove her sight so that she could be blind because she identified with blind people. True case, North Carolina, okay? Like this is a real person, okay? Then she found someone who gave her a treatment which was really painful and lasted a number of months, but eventually she did become blind. So the reason why I bring this up is because I want us to see that this thing is real. Okay? Like desires are there and they're incredibly powerful. But like when we talk about it in the area of blindness, majority of us go... That is crazy. Don't let her go blind. Let's counsel her. Let's, the problem's not her eyes. The problem is between her ears. It's in her mind. Let's heal her mind so that she can feel right about who she is. Let's go for that area, not the eyes. The same people who would say that are the same people who turn around when some, a boy says, I think I should rather be a girl, and say, no, go through, sec, go through a sex change of highly invasive surgery where you, parts of your body are removed, remodified, reorganized, and now there's this label and community waiting for you and find your, your, your new identity there. It's the same thing, and it's hypocritical. 
And it's not fair and it's not right. And the problem with sex transformation surgery is this, is that it doesn't work. You never really fully become a male if you're a woman trying to be a man. And men don't fully become women. It doesn't actually solve the problem. What it does, you become a hybrid. You become a, a masculine form of femininity and you become a feminine form of masculinity. You, and, and that results in further isolation, further hurt, further disorientation in your mind. It doesn't actually solve the problem, but we are sending people there. And we're saying, There's, go there, go there, pursue this thing. This is, this is the desire. And it's, and it's wrong. Mark Yahas is, is really the leading expert, Christian expert on the subject. He wrote a book called Understanding Gender Dys- Dys- Dysphoria. If you are struggling with gender dysphoria in any way, I recommend the book, Mark Yahas. And he said this, we should in every instance encourage individuals to resolve dysphoria in keeping with their birth sex in every instance. So, Let's conclude this message. Um, the LGBTQT movement has, has done well to alert us to the fact that there are people with very real struggles that need compassion and need to be treated with compassion. And we as a church need to be the first to respond with compassion. However, When it comes to solving the problem, we are on very different pages to the LGBTQT movement. Where the world is pushing for us to build our lives around our brokenness and our fallenness and build an identity around it, the Bible is always pointing us back to God's blueprint and doing whatever we can to make sure that we go there because that is the healthiest place for us to be as humanity. And if we're going to do that, what we have to do is we have to build a community, a redemptive community, here in the church, because we're at a tipping point. And I, I really believe Time Magazine is, is, is zeitgeist on this. This is, this is a tipping point. We are about to see society become way trans, way different to what we know it to be. The world is, is, is about to change in radical ways. Bathrooms are changing. Pronouns are changing. Let me tell you something. Things are changing. What do we do as Christians? Well, we need to create a redemptive community like this where people can come and find compassion and not rejection. And in this community, we need to raise boys to be secure in their manhood. And we need to raise girls to be secure in their womanhood, in their femininity. And that might be a challenge. It might be a process with some children. But we've got to band together as a community to make sure that maybe it's not my sons, maybe it's somebody else's sons in the room, maybe it's not my daughter, maybe it's somebody else's daughter. But we, we do our level best to raise men, boys into men and women into, girls into women. And, where we, and, and help where we can in every way. Counsel, encourage, and put every effort we can in to go after the God's blueprint. And then what we need to do as well is model sexual purity and healthy marriages. In this room, people, we need to pursue sexual purity. And we need to build healthy, strong marriages. The world is going to get increasingly broken and they're going to need a compass. They're going to need a light. They need to come to a community and see what God originally intended for mankind, and see health, and see flourishing, and, and know what truth is, which means we have to pursue purity, and we have to pursue healthy marriages. You know, the way the Christians in the first, second, and third century transformed the Roman Empire, and it's really interesting. You know, we look at transgender today like it's, like it's a new thing, You go study the Roman Empire, you will find lesbian marriages, homosexual marriages. There's also a recognition of heterosexual marriages. There was pedophilia, there were sex cults, there was prostitution, there was slavery, there were sex slaves, there was transgender in Greek and Roman society. Everything went, okay? It was all there. How did Christianity change the Roman Empire? 
three ways. How they died for giving their enemies. They were financially promiscuous. In other words, they were radically generous, kind of like one by one. Okay. I don't know about you, but you just look at one by one and you go, oh, okay. Yeah, that, that's, that's right. <laughs> that's true. That's God. That's, I want to be a part of that. That just, this, just, it just says the heart of God. And number three, they were faithful in their sexuality. In an epistle of Diognetus, all right, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but he, he, somebody wrote this letter to Diognetus. We don't know who wrote it. But he said this about Christians. He was studying Christians in the Roman Empire. And he said this. He says, Christians marry as all others. They beget children, but they don't destroy their offspring. And that was like customary in those days. If your child was born deformed in any way or in any, you, you could just get rid of it. All right? It was just abortion, but post-birth. Okay? Um, they have... A common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. Amen. Guys, this is somebody who was studying Christians at that time. And he was looking at them and he was saying they've got a common table, which means they practice hospitality. Everybody's welcome in their home. There's, there's this inclusion, inclusion thing, common table. Everyone's welcome. You come, what's your problem? It doesn't matter. Come on in. Come on in. You're struggling with gay, heterosexual, bisexual, whatever you are in touch. Listen, you're welcome. Come in. Okay? We ain't rejecting anybody. Okay? But they did not have a common bed. There was a sexual purity about them that was a witness to their generation. There was, and I want you to know this, that our faithfulness in sexuality is a massive witness. Massive witness. It, it, every time there's a healthy marriage, it points, it, it points to a higher reality. There's something healthy about it. There's something holy about it. And so we need, we need to do the same. Amen? Amen. Can we, can we stand to our feet? And let's wrap this series. <clears throat> With some prayer. Father, we come before you this morning as a family that you've put together for such a time as this. Lord, we recognize what's happening in the world this morning. We recognize the challenges that are out there in our schools and universities and even in our workplaces, Lord God. And we really believe that we're called for something else, God. We're called not to live after the flesh, Lord God. Not to live after our desires, but to, to be a shining light in the midst of a broken and corrupt world. And so we pray this morning, Father God, for the empowerment of your Spirit upon our lives. Father, I pray for every man, every woman here, every marriage, every family in this room. Lord, we're all broken in some way, and the answer is not to try harder, but to receive more of your Spirit to enable us to walk a process of redemption so that we can be the men and the women that you've called us to be. Lord, we pray this morning that we would become a redemptive community, Lord God. Where this place is a place of healing, a place of life, a place of direction for those who are lost. That we'll be signposts, Lord God, to your love and your sacrifice on that cross, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move in every heart, in every life here this morning. That you would come and touch and heal and deliver as only you can do, Jesus. Lord, we surrender our wrongful desires before you. We, we confess them as part of the old nature that's falling away. We are being renewed in our, in our inner man every day. I pray for a renewing to come. I pray for a renewing of your spirit over our lives. Lord, I pray for deliverance. I pray, Father God, where there, there is real struggles, Father God, I pray for victories, Lord. Real victories, Lord. Real testimonies, God. 
I was like this, but now I'm like that. I was blind and now I see. I used to struggle with that, but now I don't. Lord, this is our faith. This is what you called us for. You called us for victory, Jesus. Lord, I thank you that we're not subject to our desires. We're not subject to the flesh this morning. We're not under the power of temptation this morning. But Lord, you've empowered us in every way to walk in victory in our lives. And Lord, I speak victory over every battle that rages here. Every battle in the mind, in the heart. Lord God, in the body. Lord God, I speak victory over it in the name of Jesus. I declare today as a day of breakthrough, Lord God. Lord, I declare today is a new day, Father God. I declare freedom in, in the name of Jesus, Lord. Lord, you came to set every captive free. You came to open wide those prison doors, Lord, where we were being dragged away by our desires, Lord God, and set us on the path of life. Lord, I pray for all my brothers and sisters this morning that we would find blueprint for our lives, Lord God, that we would walk it with boldness, with courage. I pray, Father God, that you would enable us to be a compassionate community, Lord God, helping those who are struggling around us, confessing our weaknesses to each other, building each other up, helping each other, Lord, in every way. struggles, where there's tensions. Father, I pray peace. I pray, Lord, I pray for battles to be won in Jesus' name. May there be unity as you designed it, Lord God. Lord, I pray that we would not be satisfied with just a a functional marriage, but a, a marriage that is deeply connected and united, where there's love and there's intimacy and true fellowship. Amen. Come on. Church, um, if, um, I'm going to open up the altar this morning. If you need prayer for anything, you're welcome to come up. If you need counseling for anything, this is a safe place. You're more than welcome. But otherwise, go grab some tea and coffee before you head out into the rain. Have a super Sunday. Students, please just stay behind. Bornello wants to just chat with you for a moment. Okay. Thank you for tuning in. For more messages like these and other resources, you can visit our website at endurban.org. Remember to subscribe to our podcast channel to stay up to date with the latest sermon. Be blessed.